By the time the hunter cadres of the Tau Empire surge into battle, their commanders already know the surest path to victory. Feral Crute, the cunning pathfinders, and the eagle-eyed pilots of the air cast have mapped every inch of the engagement area. The foe's every weakness is already exposed. From the first shot fired, the Tau demonstrate strategic coordination and unity of purpose, so powerful that they are weapons in their own right. TIE 7 Devilfish transports deliver heavily equipped and highly trained warriors precisely where they are needed. Devastating artillery walkers like the KV-128 Storm Surge hammer the enemy lines. Nimble combat aircraft fill the skies while alien auxiliaries unleash their own unique talents of battlecraft. Amidst it all, it is ever the battle suits that deliver the most punishing blows. Marvels of Earthcast technology. These single pilot war suits drop from the skies on plumes of fire, vanish behind layers of advanced camouflage, or supercharge their systems with experimental reactors all while laying down devastating fusillades of fire. So have countless worlds fallen to the expansionist armies of the Tao Empire, who do not hesitate to secure ideological acquiescence beneath the muzzle of a gun. Now, in the wake of the Great Rift's opening, more worlds in their path than ever before stand cut off and poorly defended. The Tau will gladly see them all brought, willingly or otherwise, into their burgeoning empire. First Contact Located far out upon the eastern fringe of Imperial space, Tau is a small world with a single continental landmass and a swift and magnificent sunrise. It has been the scene of strife and great conflict in its time, and has also served as the cradle of a civilization that even now bears its light ever further into the darkness between the stars. The Tau began like countless other sentient species. They progressed from primitives to herder tribes inhabiting the savanna plains and mountains of their homeworld. They developed language, tools, and of course, weapons. What singles their tail out is the speed with which these advances came. The Tau are a short-lived species 
by human standards, but strive with dynamism that sees each generation achieve remarkable progress. During their early days, the ancestors of the Tao rapidly outpaced their mortal growth with their practical and martial development. Inevitable disaster followed. The Tao had long been diverging both physically and mentally. Strong and warlike plains hunters, tough, skilled builders and settlers, loquacious merchants and diplomats, winged messengers, each became entrenched in their nature as fortresses rose and black powder weapons proliferated. Tribal alliances formed, wars erupted. So began the Mon Tao, a dark time of conflict that looked destined to drive the Tao to extinction. It is a shadow the modern Tao fear even now, for it speaks of a darkness within their collective psyche whose resurgence they will always dread. According to Tao myth, the end of the Montau was marked by strange lights in the skies. These were first believed to portend the end of days, yet instead they seemed to have announced the coming of the ethereals. With them came destiny. The first documented sighting of this strange new breed of Tao was at Fio Town, a place where a mighty fortress lay besieged. Ethereals walked calmly out of the night and compelled the leaders of both sides to sit down and agree a peace where none had before been possible. Legend tells how the Ethereals spoke long with the assembled Tao who, until so recently, had sought one another's deaths. The Ethereals told of a shared destiny. They projected a sense of undeniable authority. And in the light of a new dawn, they secured alliance and cooperation between the warring factions. Countless similar tales abound, even if some are apocryphal or have been exaggerated. Still, it cannot be argued that, whatever their mysterious provenance, the Ethereals ended the Montau and united their species in a single goal. This goal was the Tao Va, or Greater Good. From that time onward, the breakneck pace of Tao advancement became one of their race's greatest strengths. Guided by the Council of Ethereals, 
the Tau adopted a rigid caste system that saw the different tribes arranged and valued by their strengths. The Earth caste were builders and craftsmen, and as their technology base advanced, became engineers and scientists. The Air caste continued to act as scouts and messengers, serving eventually as their race as pilots and spacefarers. Those tribes who had specialized in mercantile trade or diplomacy became the water caste, whose administrative influence flowed through their society and kept the wheels of progress turning. Stubborn and aggressive, the warlike plains dwellers took the longest to embrace the teachings of the ethereals. Yet, even they eventually acceded and became the fire caste. In time, they would graduate from being their race's huntsmen to being their standing military. And it was during these early centuries that they adopted the teachings of the Code of Fire that still regulate their conduct to this day. This unified drive towards progress saw the Tau establish orbital void cities and then push outwards to claim new worlds and systems for their own. Such swift advancement also subjected the Tau race to unbelievable stresses and challenges. Encountering alien species, many of which proved hostile and had to be fought for survival. The constant push towards progress and a territorial expansion that required selfless dedication from every member of Tau society. The burning need for fresh resources to power the endless toil the burden of believing in their people's destiny to save the galaxy from itself. Such stresses have proven too much for many burgeoning empires, even when spread out far over greater periods of time. Yet the Tao almost seem to relish each fresh hurdle. Though they may suffer and bleed and pay dearly for every step forwards, still in the service of the greater good, the Tau move ever forward, and they do so gladly. The Greater Good The Tau Va can be summed up simply. It is the belief that the individual life of any given member of the Tao Empire is of less importance than the needs of the Empire itself. Its adherents gladly expend incredible efforts, endure shocking hardships, and lay down their lives without a second thought 
for the furtherance of this greater good. Ever since the coming of the ethereals, Tao society has been focused upon fulfilling a singular destiny. With very few exceptions, every Tao believes wholeheartedly in giving all that they have to the furtherance of the greater good. Moreover, they believe that it is their duty and privilege to carry this creed out into the stars and unify every sentient species beneath their secular faith. The Tao put great store in every achievement and personal sacrifice that advances this goal. Those who excel in the service of the greater good are lauded, while those rare few who allow personal hubris, vanity, or selfishness to come first are vilified. The Talva has many apparent benefits. Thanks to the unstinting efforts of earth cast miners, engineers, and architects, the cities of the Tao Septs are clean and orderly. They are technologically advanced places, well protected from hostile environments and enemies alike. Energy shields and vast habitation domes hold indigenous life forms and perilous weather systems at bay. Railguns, ion cannons, firecast garrisons, and hive-like drone ports watch over the habitation zones, science complexes, cultural centers, military academies, water-cast diplomatic embassies, and trade hubs. Air-cast spaceports and other bustling centers that fill the cities Solid light sculptures, dancing fountains, and peaceful parklands grace even the meanest settlements. Within their bounds, alien races of many sorts rub shoulders in peace, with the Tao moving through them as first amongst equals. There is little of what other races might consider opulence, for the Tao see such self-oriented displays of wealth as wasteful. Yet equally, there is nothing of the poverty or squalor that afflicts most other races. Of course, all who dwell in these cities have their places within Tao society predetermined by caste, and by the orders of the ethereals. They toil for the greater good while surrounded by carefully nuanced propaganda that extols the glories and victories of their eminently superior empire. The Tao and their allies 
have little say in their own personal destinies, for, by the command of the ethereals, these are subsumed into the single great destiny that they all must serve. Yet it would not occur to most Tao even to question the serenely issued edicts of their ruling caste. The word of the ethereals is law, and no true Tao or ally of their empire would seek to contradict it. The greater good demands the tireless expansion of the Tao Empire. It is not enough to wait for the peoples of the galaxy to come in search of enlightenment. The Tao feel genuine compassion for those races unfortunate enough to still toil in darkness and ignorance. They believe the message of the greater good must be brought to all and every civilization ushered into the wonder of its light. So it is that they forge ever outwards, growing their empire's borders in a series of grand expansions and establishing new colonized systems which they call septs. Each sept is named for its capital planet or sept world and can include myriad other worlds, moons, void stations, and orbital structures. Drones lead the way out into the void. Tiny lights streaking through the immensity of space as they broadcast messages of hope and unity. Whenever a drone detects signals from a sentient species, it alerts the Tau and beckons their colonization fleets hence. From this point, the Tau observe a specific series of protocols. First contact is always made by ambassadors of the water caste, who entreat peaceful negotiations with the newly discovered aliens. Silver-tongued and fervently committed to spreading the message of the greater good, the ambassadors do all they can to convince their hosts of the benefits of becoming part of the Tao Empire. Should the world's inhabitants accept this invitation, even should such acceptance take generations to arrive at, then all is well. Tao colonization begins at once, and often the indigenous peoples are peacefully relocated deeper into the Tao Empire, where they can be educated in the glory of the Tao Ba. Their skills and worth are assessed, just as their former homeworld and its resources are absorbed into the empire, so too are the new aliens placed where they will best benefit the greater good. Regrettably, 
from the Tao standpoint anyway, many races reject these diplomatic advances. Such beings cannot be left to threaten the empire in their ignorance. The fire cast now come to the fore, readying invasion plans that will most swiftly see the ingrates pacified. When the Tao attack, they come suddenly from the firmament with overwhelming speed and firepower, seeking to prove to their enemies the hopelessness of standing against an empire unified by the greater good. So is the lesson of acquiescence taught through force. Yet even in victory, the Tao are not cruel. They seek to preserve what they can both of the enemy's world and of the enemy themselves. For both will be valuable assets to the empire once conquered. As the ethereals say, it is not the fault of those who are blind that they cannot yet see. Forced integration and re-education follows, even as the earth cast set to work healing the planet's battle scars and resettling it as the empire's latest outpost of enlightenment and culture. So have the Tao pushed back the darkness beyond their boundaries for many centuries. So now do they continue. In the tumult and darkness following the opening of the Great Rift, known to the Tao as the Montyeva or Devourer of Hope, there are more worlds and species lost to darkness and terror than ever before. These the Tao will rescue, no matter the cost, and will bring them into the glorious light of their burgeoning empire. Caste System So completely have the Tao absorbed the concept of the greater good that it has come to shape their entire society. And even their physical and mental makeup. Long now have they been divided into castes, each with its own strictly delineated responsibilities to the empire and to the other castes. The Tao caste system transforms their society from countless individuals to a coherent whole, comprising four hard-working component elements directed in all things by a fifth. Tao are born into their castes, live their lives by the tenets of that caste, and all hope to eventually pass away having furthered its contribution to the greater good. The ethereals permit no interbreeding 
between Tao of different castes. They further monitor the development of each as a careful gardener tends to their plants, pairing away weak or recessive shoots while ensuring the healthy limbs are given all they need to thrive. The Tao themselves do not question the righteousness of this system. It is as natural to them as the progression of day and night, or the action of gravity or time. They accept all of the societal and personal restrictions placed upon them by their ethereal masters as necessary for the greater good and think no more about them. Even within their caste, most Tao have their place marked out for them as need dictates. That said, the Tao Empire is, broadly speaking, a meritocracy in which excellence is recognized with progress. In the fire caste, this takes the form of advancement through the ranks and brings honors such as piloting a battle suit or rising to command armies. By comparison, a skilled earth caste Tao might be plucked from a more menial role and propelled into a lifetime of scientific or technological experimentation, or the architectural design of grand structures. One might be forgiven for thinking that Tao society would frown upon individuals taking pride in their achievements, but it is not so. Rather, each individual is encouraged to derive the greatest satisfaction from their works, military conquests, new discoveries, and the like, with two crucial caveats. The first is that all such labors are equally as important to the empire, and that a humble laborer who finishes raising a wall should be prized just as highly by her fellows as should an ace pilot who shoots down many enemy fighter crafts, or a fire-cast chasseau who conquers a world for the Empire. The second is that all such personal glories are won for the Empire, not for the individual. This subtle but crucial emphasis ensures that the vast majority of Tao strive their whole lives with willing enthusiasm to achieve all they can for the Tao Va, and goes some way to preventing factionalism or damaging rivalries between the castes. The Tao have a tendency toward short lives when compared to the average human. Coupled with their lightning-fast evolutionary advances and the rigidity of the caste system, 
This has led them, over countless brief but bright-burning generations, to diverge into something closer to four independent subspecies. All are still recognizably Tau. They are humanoid in form, with hoof-like feet and blue skin, whose shade depends upon their world's proximity to its nearest star. However, no Tau could ever mistake a member of another caste for their own, and indeed even their physiology differs quite markedly. Those who have fought the Tau Empire and become used to the comparatively burly and aggressive fire caste would be surprised at the sight of a squat, broad, earth-caste Tau, an elegant and swift-witted trader of the water caste, or, strangest of all, one of the willowy air caste, with their etiolated build and gangling limbs. One of the few apparent racial constants that unites all the castes is an absolute lack of sensitivity to the Empyrean. There are, seemingly, no psychers amongst the Tau, nor any tendency towards the uncontrolled mutation that the warp's touch brings. It is unclear to what degree the ethereals know of or comprehend the hellish dimension that roils beneath the skin of real space. But it is readily apparent that the race they rule understand nothing of it. In many ways, of course, this is a blessing, for the touch of the warp is wholly corrupting. Yet, in others, for a people pushing ever further into a dark and violent galaxy, where the power of chaos is on the rise, it is a perilous blind spot. The fire caste constitutes the warriors of Tau society. It is the duty of these soldiers to protect the other castes and to eliminate any foes foolish enough to oppose the will of the Tau Empire. Long ago, the fire caste originated from the hunter tribes of the plains. Even then, they were already the strongest and most aggressive of all the Tau. Through the years, the fire caste's desirable traits of strength and physical size have continued to increase, and any weak strains are quickly weeded out. They are guided by an enduring creed known as the Code of Fire, which stresses martial arts, loyalty, and merciless war tempered by wisdom. The fire warriors spend their entire lives either in battle or preparing for it, constantly honing their tactics and relentlessly working to improve their combat skills.
The Earth cast comprises the artisans, engineers, and laborers of the town. It is by far the most populous of the castes. It is they who construct machines, raise colonies and cities, and provide food for the rest of the Tao Empire. Without the earth caste, the farms would not produce, and the factories would stand idle. The menial levels of the earth caste are sturdy laborers who toil ceaselessly. Its foremost minds, by comparison, become engineers and scientists, inventors beyond compare. It is they who fashion the sophisticated technologies and forward-leaping innovations that are so prevalent throughout every level of Tao society, and who ensure that the fire caste have the weapons they need to fight their wars. Water is the element that can be found in all living things, flowing continuously to allow life to function. Such is the comparison oft repeated by the bureaucrats, politicians, diplomats, and administrators of the water caste. In essence, they are the civil servants who make Tao society run smoothly. The water caste make up the merchants, traders, and ambassadorial corps moving fluidly among the other castes and any aliens incorporated into the Tao empire. They assuage fears and ensure all negotiations are handled with great efficiency. This subset of the Tao has always displayed a gift for linguistics, a talent that has grown ever more refined over time. The water caste are able to learn alien languages with ease and show a remarkable aptitude for understanding and emulating even the most nuanced aspects of social, religious, and political interaction. In ancient times, the Tao of the air caste were messengers, but now they fill the role of pilots and spaceship crews, transporting goods and warriors to where they are needed or pushing back the boundaries of known Tau space. The air caste, sometimes called the invisible caste, are the unseen force, for they rarely, if ever, set foot upon planets. Most air caste Tau spend the majority of their lives in void transit or aboard space stations. Their bodies have evolved to their new circumstances, 
no longer bearing wings as they once did, but instead exhibiting longer and lighter frames in response to their low-gravity existence. Hollow bones allow the pilots of the aircast to withstand great acceleration, though they are conversely weak and ungainly on worlds with even a moderate gravity. In battle, the aircast rain death from the skies, while crewing either attack fighters or bomber craft in support of the planet-bound fire warriors. Ethereals The ethereal caste stand apart from their people. They rule the Tau as a wise and patient adult might guide spirited, if occasionally wayward, youths to realize their truest potentials. Sometimes serene and benevolent, other times hard and stern as stone. It is the ethereals who divine the needs of the greater good, and who decree the ways in which the Tao Empire may bring it about. The ethereals rule Tao society. They are longer lived than the other castes, and this gives them greater scope of vision. It is they who determine the goals of their empire, and who guide their people's feet upon their chosen paths. For their part, the Tao view the ethereals with a reverence bordering on the religious. Secular rulers, priesthood, grand galactic strategists, the ethereals are all of these things to their race, and the respect they are paid is absolute. The ethereals perform a unifying role within the Tao Empire. They take counsel from senior members of each caste, but ultimately, all decisions are theirs to make, and responsibilities theirs to be borne. Ethereals must motivate. They must lead, encourage, or rein in the Tao of the other castes as need dictates. They do all this with the absolute confidence of those who know they possess a monopoly upon the truth. Amongst their most important duties is the orchestration of propaganda that is beamed endlessly across the Tao Empire to spread hope and determination. It is a small wonder that Tao interstellar communication technology has seen advancement every bit as meteoric as that of their void craft or military hardware. To their own people, the ethereals are infinitely wise rulers, ruthless when they must be, but ultimately altruistic. To outside species, 
they cultivate a more aloof appearance. They do nothing to dissuade more primitive alien races from defying them, or more recalcitrant people from fearing them as all-knowing and perilous to anger. No one, neither Tao nor alien observer, knows how the ethereals exert such unquestioned authority over their people. This is due in part to the suicidal lengths Tao will go in the defense of their ethereals. Rare indeed is the capture of these revered beings, for entire hunter cadres would rather go to their willing deaths than know the crushing shame of having allowed their assigned ethereal to be captured or slain. Lack of experimental subjects has not stopped imperial biologians from speculating upon the mechanisms of ethereal rule, of course. Discarding as facile the suggestion that the Tao simply believe unswervingly in their Xenos creed, such magi have suggested everything from veiled psychic domination or pheromonal control to even more outlandish theories like mass racial hypnosis or the deployment of invisible organic nanites. Whatever its method, the ethereal's effect upon their people is very evident in battle. There, they evoke the elemental truths to inspire nigh-supernatural feats of accuracy, courage, speed, and resilience. Their mere presence evokes something like zealotry in other Tao, and countless desperate defeats have been transformed into improbable victories thanks to the leadership of an ethereal. On Va is the oldest and highest ranking of the ethereal council. His voice is law across the entire Tao Empire. His hand is visible in many of his people's greatest achievements. An Va is revered almost as a living deity, and the mere rumor of his arrival is enough to double Earthcast production quotas, propel military conquests to their victorious conclusion, and trigger countless Kai Rhoda of somber yet jubilant ceremonies. Despite his irreplaceable value to the Empire, Anva is often seen upon the forefront of Tao military campaigns. He does not seek to fight himself. Rather, he allows his awe-inspiring presence to drive the fire and air casts to fight like heroes of legends. The Sayoka system victory, the pronouncement of Mount Sion, 
the remarkable Elyash Gauntlet. These and other tales are beloved across the Empire, with each painting the ethereal supreme as the architect of absolute glorious triumph. Nor are Anva's achievements restricted to the battlefield, for he is an orator and negotiator of sublime skill and has brought even the most challenging alien species into the Empire's fold. Anva has lived countless lifespans, even for an ethereal. Yet his people accept this as simply another facet of his legend. He is to them an icon of longevity, stability, and purpose, whose morality could never be countenanced. This is unfortunate, as the true Anva is already dead, slain by an imperial assassin during the apocalyptic conclusion of the war beyond the Damocles Gulf. Knowing the cataclysmic impact his death would have upon Tau society, the Ethereals have since employed solid light technology coupled with AI personality matrices to give the Ethereal Supreme a simulacra of life beyond death that has, thus far, fooled the worshipful masses. Of course, his honor guard may now never leave Anva's side, and none may ever be permitted to touch him, for the labyrinthian deception must never be revealed. Battle Suits The battle suit, or hero's mantle, is emblematic of the Tao way of war. It embodies their philosophy of overcoming any challenge through the innovative application of superior technology. For those finest warriors of the fire caste to who it is granted, it is a badge of honor and a weapon of war both. Most of all, it is a broad category of ever-advancing and diversifying combat armor with near-limitless martial applications. The first battle suits invented by the Earthcast were nearly as perilous to the operators as to the foe. Thanks to selfless sacrifices of those first pioneers, however, Battle suits soon became pivotal to Tau warfare, with new innovations and marks of suit coming into use all the time. The most enduringly popular battle suit is the XV-8 Crisis. Standing twice the height of a fire warrior, it boasts nanocrystalline armor 
and multiple hardpoints for weaponry and support systems, along with a powerful jetpack. Often deployed in teams via low atmospheric insertion from holds of Manta dropships, these suits offer a balance of speed, resilience, and firepower. The XV-8 has further provided the prototype chases for several more advanced battlesuits now available to Tau commanders. These include the XV-86 Cold Star with its trans-atmospheric flight capabilities and the formidable XV-85 Enforcer. For sabotage and intelligence gathering, the Firecast deployed teams of XV-25 stealth battlesuits. The pilots of these suits are viewed askance for their unconventional tendencies and preference for operating independently of the wider Tau military. Their peculiarities, however, are more than excused by their combat record. XV-25s mount integral stealth field generators that project a visual distortion effect. Coupled with cloaking fields and sensory deadening technologies, this renders stealth battlesuits all but invisible until they strike. More recently, the XV-25 has been joined by the XV-95 Ghost Kill, which is a walking tank and stealth-capable terror weapon in one. The pilots of these battlesuits are veterans of XV-25 operations, augmenting their hard-won abilities in ambush hunting and covert warfare with onboard support AI and a bewildering array of counter-sensory systems. It is a potent combination that has sealed the doom of many foes. Then there are those battlesuits that askew any notion of subtlety. The XV-88 Broadside, for example, is a hulking beast that trades jet-assisted flight for armored resilience and enormous firepower. Toting heavy rail rifles, high-yield missile pods, and smart missile systems, broadside teams unleash salvos capable of shredding squadrons of tanks or swathes of massed infantry. Then there is the XV-104 Riptide, the terror of Damocles, the ultimate heavy battlesuit. A single fire warrior, assisted by an integrated AI, pilots this towering war engine, and can move with a jet-assisted mobility that belies the Riptide's intimidating size. The battlesuit's experimental Nova Reactor fuses dark matter to 
provide phenomenal power output that not only facilitates this frightening turn of pace, but also powers the suit's potent energy shield and a veritable arsenal of heavy weaponry. Battlefield Support In addition to the formidable armor and weaponry fashioned for them by the Earthcast, Fire Warriors on the battlefield have access to numerous supporting technologies, whether they are fighting on foot or piloting a battlesuit. Over their long and glorious history, the Firecast has made use of countless inventions that have flowed from the laboratories of the Earthcast. As each new technological marvel reaches a stage of combat readiness, it is assigned to willing volunteers for frontline testing. Some devices are weeded out during this experimental phase. They may prove too great a drain on a drone or battlesuit's power, or too fragile or temperamental for battlefield conditions. On rare occasions, as in the case of the exothermic reactive mantle, the gravitic auto-booster, and the now infamous pulse field projector, they may prove regrettably hazardous to their user. Should this occur, the designs are not discarded, but are instead returned to the laboratory stage for further improvement, albeit with some loss of face for their inventors. For every innovation whose time is not yet ripe, there is another tried and tested system the Firecast would not now be without. Some of these are extremely modular, or have become more so over time. The ubiquitous marker light, for example, is a data beam projector and targeting system used to triangulate their foe's location so as to undermine their cover positions or guide remote strike weaponry down upon them. So useful is this system that it has been adapted for handheld use by pathfinders and fire warriors, but can also be mounted on drones, battlesuits, and vehicles. By comparison, the electro-warfare suites employed by ghost keel battlesuits are so currently complex that they cannot be integrated into any other Tau's battlesuit, let alone replicated in miniature for infantry usage. That does not mean, of course, that this will be the case forever. The Earthcast are always seeking ways to better their own work. Certain support systems are known as staples of the Tau War Machine. The operation and manufacture of some of these perennial technologies 
is so sound that it has not been improved upon in generations. Others are relatively newfound, yet have swiftly proliferated throughout the firecast's forces and become indispensable to the cause. Oshasera, Commander Shadow Sun, Spearhead of the Greater Good. Amongst the finest pupils of Commander Puritide, Oshasera is the foremost living proponent of Kaoyan within the Fire Cast, and amongst the Empire's most iconic war heroes. Clad in her highly advanced XV-22 Stalker battlesuit, Commander Shadow Sun employs her strategic genius to orchestrate vast and elaborate battle plans, all while engaging and destroying the enemy's most valuable target assets. More than 400 years before the present day, the humble Shasla, who would become Commander Shadow Sun, was the prodigy of the Firecast Academies. So exceptional was her performance that she was given the opportunity to study at the feet of the great master, Commander Puretide. There, she continued to excel. Despite being Pure Tide's youngest pupil, she outstripped all her peers bar one, Commander Oshova. Oshasera and Oshova developed a deep and abiding rivalry that pushed both of them to ever greater feats of excellence in the name of the Tao Empire. That rivalry carried over to the bloody campaign upon Dalyuth Prime, where the two commanders between them bled the momentum from the Imperial Steamroller Offensive. It was Oshova's dynamic deeds that gained greatest recognition during that fight. Yet none of his Montka tactics would have been possible had it not been for Shadow Sun's meticulous Kaon strategies. In the wake of that conflict, Commander Farsight was selected by Anva for a daring new mission beyond the Damocles Gulf. Shadow Sun, along with a number of Pure Tide's other living pupils, was sent into suspended animation in preparation for a time when the Empire would need new heroes. No doubt a restless and competitive being like Osha Sarah chafed at being consigned to the long sleep while her rival continued to win victory after victory for the Empire. Yet she showed her true dedication to the Talva that day by accepting without question the decision of the Ethereals. Osha Sarah knew 
the time would come when she would best serve the greater good. Whether that would take decades, centuries, or millennia. So it did, during the Great War of Confederation against the overwhelming orc threat. Having been revivified upon the order of Anva and given command of increasingly sizable Tau forces, Shadow Sun demonstrated her genius at Kaon warfare time and again. Yet it was her audacious strike to end the Kresh expansions that sealed her reputation as the Empire's greatest hero. She led a stealth cadre into the heart of the orc encampment to land the killing blow, timing her attack to coincide with an artificial eclipse, and using low-flying orca dropships to deploy her entire cadre by jump jet direct into the enemy lines. Under cover of the unnatural darkness, Shadow Sun and her warriors picked off the orc leaders one by one. Osha Sarah herself hunted the orc warlord, cutting him down with precision fire before ordering the rest of her cadres to launch their own attack. Shorn of their leaders, the orcs collapsed into panicked anarchy. By the time the sunlight burned through the artificial veil, the battle was over, and a new firecast legend was born. Promoted to Supreme Commander, Osha Sarah made her address from the Montier Battle Dome, the site where Farsight had famously trained. Arriving resplendent, in her new prototype XV-22 battlesuit, she was a sight to stir the martial hearts of all who viewed her. With the entire firecast watching, Shadow Sun began firing her weapons at the statue of Farsight, obliterating the effigy of this hero turned deserter. As the dust settled, she outlined the new campaigns the Tao Empire would soon embark on. She spoke of honor, the sacred code of fire, and the all-important law of the Tao Va. After this address, every fire warrior shouted in one voice, ready to follow their new commander to any end. Since that day, though she has been returned to stasis more than once, Commander Osha Sarah has remained the champion of the Empire. It was she who led the Third Sphere expansion to so many glorious victories, and who ensured the establishment of sects that have endured beyond the Damocles Gulf ever since. During that conflict, she led the assault that conquered the world Agrilan in a single day. And it was Shadow Sun also who outmaneuvered and struck down 
Corvin Severax, the chapter master of the Raven Guard Space Marines. It was Shadow Sun too who spearheaded the Fifth Sphere expansion's leap into the unknown beyond the Zone of Silence. In the Chalnath Expanse, she secured many fresh victories and masterminded system-wide campaigns of conquest. Some were subtle and diplomatic, others overwhelming martial masterpieces. Following her victory on Astorgius, Commander Shadow Sun turned her strategic genius to once again battling her oldest foes, the Orcs. Vast numbers of them had been drawn by the three-sided anarchic campaign raging through the vast swathes of the Chalnath Expanse. The Greenskins poured from the Fulna Nebulae in ragtag invasion fleets. With the Thaxoril, Ryotov, and Barrowlear systems barely pacified, and conflict still raging on half a dozen other fronts. Osha Serra was unwilling to allow this new menace to destabilize the precarious expansion of the Nimyar Atoll. Deploying her forces in a complex web of interlocking positions throughout the Vilas, Metash, and Asoda systems, she has begun a military campaign with the Kaon philosophy at its heart, on an inter-system scale. In this way, she plans to bleed dry the orcs' momentum and utterly crush the threat they pose to the fifth sphere expansion. Spheres of Expansion The rise of the Tau can be seen to develop through distinct phases of exploration, conquest, and settlement known as spheres of expansion. Each is marked by a long buildup of resources and material, after which continual waves of exploratory missions and military campaigns follow. In this way are new sects secured, which in turn form the jumping-off points for the next sphere of expansion that follows. The events of the spheres of expansion have occurred over thousands of years. Still, when set against the immense distances involved in void-faring and the comparative pace set by other expanding races, their progress has been explosive. Each has spurred massive leaps in technology and understanding. Each has also come with its own traumas and costs, which Tao civilization has borne with characteristic stoicism.
the initial surge out into the void saw the Tau colonize the dense star clusters around their home world. The first eight Tau Septs were established during this era of enterprise and adventure. It was an era when the might and value of the Firecast was fully appreciated by the rest of their species, for many worlds played host to hostile alien predators that had to be eliminated before colonization could begin. The water cast, too, proved their value during the first sphere expansion, for it was they, with the aid of the ethereals, who acclimatized their race to the notion of befriending and then incorporating even the strangest alien races into the Empire. For all their efforts, though, there was one race that could not be absorbed nor reasoned with. It took many costly disasters before the Tau accepted that the orcs, who proliferate throughout every region of the galaxy, were too savage and hostile ever to benefit the greater good. The first sphere expansion ended only when the vast distances of space slowed progression to a crawl. It was time for the Earth cast to develop new methods of spacefaring, and for the rest of the thinly spread empire to regather its strength. In the build-up to the second sphere expansion, the Tau developed their first AI, incorporated countless more alien auxiliaries into their empire, and grew greatly in number. Then the Earth cast of Falshaya Sept invented the ZFR Horizon Accelerator Engine which could propel Tau void ships to near light speed. Only then did Ethereal Supreme on way order the second expansion to commence. This new undertaking was to prove even more dynamic than the first, with more than a dozen new septs colonized over its span. The name of Commander Puretide dominated this period of Tau history, as he led masterful campaigns to which the Septs of Elsier, Toshvar, and Altau owe their existence. Even the battle-loving orcs feared to face Puretide by the time his career neared its end. Towards the conclusion of this expansion, the Tau pushed forces across the mysterious Damocles Gulf, and there they encountered the Imperium for the first time. Watercast negotiators knew initial success here, and brought a score of human worlds willingly 
into the Empire before the inevitable Imperium retribution came. Driving the Tau back across the Gulf, the Damocles Crusade carved a bloody path through Tau space before finally being bled of its momentum by commanders Oshova and Oshasera on Dalith Prime. In the wake of this shocking conflict, the high-placed ethereal Anva sent Oshova back across the gulf to attempt further conquests, only for the commander and his followers to desert in mysterious circumstances. At the same time, the horror of Tyranid High Fleet Gorgon plowed into Kel Shansept. The ensuing battles drained the last of the Tau reserves before the invaders were defeated. The second sphere expansion was at an end. The Tau Empire was almost ready to launch its third greatest expansion when an orc wah of unprecedented enormity spilled from the Western Vale Nebula to attack the Virla, Sakea, and Tau Incepts. So began the Great War of Confederacy, during which Anva, now Ethereal Supreme, brought the entire Tau Empire together as a unified war engine to first halt and then defeat the Greenskins. Near the end of the Second Sphere expansion, several of Commander Puritide's most promising pupils had been placed into suspended animation against the day the Empire would need them most. It was during the Orc invasion that Anva had Commander Osha Sarah reawakened, for he knew her time had come. By the end of the war, which raged for twelve years, Shadow Sun had made her name as the greatest commander in living memory. She was the hero of the Firecast, victor of Vehara, the Dawn Worlds of Kormusan, and the Kresh expansions. Moreover, the empire that revered her had achieved a total war footing during the conflict, and its armies were now filled with blooded veterans, buoyed up by victory. Knowing the moment was right, Anva ordered the third sphere of expansion to begin. New Earthcast advances saw the Tau void ships travel faster than ever. And with stasis chambers on board that could transport entire hunter cadres in suspended animation. The expansion surged across the Damocles Gulf with Shadow Sun at its head. The watercast had performed decades of preparatory negotiations amidst the distant alien worlds, and so Shadow Sun's forces claimed dozens of new planets 
in spectacularly short order. She drove her armies deep into imperial space, culminating in the crushing conquest of Argrelan, which was declared the capital world of the new Mughalith Bay Sept. Some Tao naively believed that they had the Imperium in full retreat. They did not appreciate the scale of their error until the cataclysmic Imperial counterattack came. Only the unexpected aid of Oshova and his rebels saw the Tau spared from utter defeat in the meat grinder that followed. Yet still it proved horribly costly. Anva was slain by nightmarish imperial assassins, though his death was kept secret. At the same time, rather than accept stalemate at the hands of upstart Xenos, the Imperium unleashed an Archaeotech superweapon whose fires blackened Argolon and spread across the Damocles Gulf to drive both sides apart. It was an atrocity on a scale the Tau had never imagined, and it ended the third sphere of expansion in grisly fashion.